here earlier setting up. It didn't feel like that, but there we go. We're here now, and um, I'm just going to pray and welcome Holy Spirit amongst us because we can't do without him. Precious Holy Spirit, we do thank you for your presence amongst us this morning. Um, Maybe something you'll do to help us sense that and to know that in a deeper way. To know some fresh thought in our mind or some deeper experience in our heart or just a jump in our spirit, maybe. Um, That we're on an amazing journey together. Lord, as we look into your word, would you just bless it to us? Help us as we break it open together. May it feed us. May it help us and guide us in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. The first thing we're going to do is to read two passages of Scripture, which are um, on our agenda this morning. Um, We're preaching through Luke. This one's fallen to me. And um, the two passages we're going to read um, are 13, 10 to 17, but also chapter 14, 1 to 6. And there is a reason for that, because they both, they both deal um, with Jesus doing something on the Sabbath day, which the Jewish leaders, uh, the hierarchy, the religious hierarchy, thought he ought not to do because it was breaking their laws. I mean, God had, had um, sort of made the Sabbath day holy in that sense. But Jesus put his finger on the point Ultimately, when he said in another section of the Bible, uh, man is not made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath made for man. In other words, it was meant to be a blessing. Now it had become a curse, in a sense. It wasn't helpful. It was a means of bringing people into bondage and legalism. Uh, it It was taking away freedom from people and bringing them into a sense of bondage. So that's why we're going to read these two passages uh, together. Uh, the first one in Luke 13:10 to 7. Now, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman. And before we read any further, I just want to say that is such a fantastic statement. Jesus, Luke, singles out, as Jesus did, one precious soul and finds herself in the narratives of Scripture, finds herself in the purposes of the kingdom of God, drawn into the purposes of the kingdom of God for blessing. And so Luke wants to... This woman's significant. No? Behold a woman. Behold's a bit of an old-fashioned word, but it actually means that. Behold, see what God's doing, drawing her into the kingdom. And that could be... The same for each one of us this morning. You may feel you're just sitting in a chair or just turned up because it's some Sunday again. But God is saying, well, behold, there's a barb and a kay and a peat. You're all part of the narrative of Scripture and God's kingdom. His purposes working out in the old. Significant. And there are significant things in our passages this morning that I want to, want to draw out. Not what I prepared, because God gave them to you just a minute ago. But there we go. And behold, there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over. That means she bent over like a hairpin. That's the meaning of the word. 
doubled up. Behold, there was one who had disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. Hallelujah. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And as he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done, for, done by him. And then over in Luke 14, 1 to 6, one Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler at the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. That was um, a painful, very painful swelling. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, well, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Well, like I said, what a week it has been. The Conservative Party is without a leader, the nation without a Prime Minister. Other nations are saying, what a mess. There has been what we might call an unprecedented wrangling in government. We've seen truth played out with outplayed with a toy, like in the hands of an unruly child. Thus, the battle for truth has become the cherished manifesto for a real campaign on which hearts can be won and votes scored. But who will we send? Who can uphold such a crucial and a vital role? We've probably got our possibilities but, and our possibles in the running. But we need to wrestle with this before the throne of God. So firstly, I'm going to ask if you all stand that we can pray. Because our passage talks about corrupt leaders this morning, we're going to bring that into our meeting as we pray for the leadership of our land. Father, we do thank you and praise you for the many, many good things we have because of the government of our land. We recognise, Lord, that this week has been a difficult week for individuals, but over it, Lord, you understand, you know, 
And Lord, you allow leaders to come and go, and you are in control ultimately. And we thank you that forever your word is settled in heaven, where your throne is. And we thank you for your throne this morning. And we as Beacon Community come before your throne this morning and pray for the government of our land. We pray, Father, for good government. We pray for good leaders, Lord. Father, we do pray that things that are put in place will bless the people of this land and other countries beyond. And we pray, Lord, it may all help us to know what humanity is all about, to be able to serve one another in a right way. So, Lord, we pray for the next leader of the Conservative Party, which will ultimately be governing for a short while. We pray, Lord, that that be the person that we need at this time, Lord. This is a holy thing, because your word says that we should pray for our leaders, and we do that in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Take your seats. As I said, our, our two passages, very much to do, have to do with Jesus in conflict with leadership. Or Jesus in conflict with those who are responsible, if you like. The Jews had their response, so-called responsible team, but it was not being responsible. It was not working through the ways of God. I mean, if Jesus can call them hypocrites, <laughs> we shouldn't think anything less. But then you probably think of that about a government too. And so do I sometimes. The value of truth... <coughs> The value of truth is so important in our society. And the value of truth is important in our passage this morning because Jesus speaks right into it. But um, I had trouble in sort of putting it in some sort of order this morning. And, and, and so I just want to focus on two things in particular because this is what the Holy Spirit dropped into my mind as I was praying at the last minute. So what should it be about this morning? The two things I want to raise from our passage is the life of a lonely woman and the flaws in corrupted leadership. The life of a lonely woman. C.H. Spurgeon said, we're going to fight if we are going to reign. And Jesus was fighting here against legalism license, and lack at leadership level. He, that was his fight. All through his journey, he was confronted with those who opposed him and those who said things against him and those who denied him and ultimately the Jews who said, we will not have this man to reign over us. We will not have this man to reign over us. But we as Beacon Community love to know that Jesus is on the throne because he's the one that's reigning ultimately in our situation, in the life of our church. But here in these stories again, we find Jesus is fighting against this corrupted leadership, which is supposed to be there for the blessing of the people. We'll come to that just a little bit later. But I just want to look at this woman. We know the passage started off with, Behold a woman. So that means Luke, the writer, um, probably prompted by the way Jesus treated her, 
puts her on this page of scripture and she's for eternally there to remind us of her need and what Jesus can do for her. These are simple things, but we need to just look at her for the moment. And I don't know why God just popped into my mind those words, the life of a lonely woman, but I do in one way because it means that there's someone here this morning who is fighting this battle. You're living the life, or you have lived the life of a lonely woman. That's what Jesus was confronted with. And she was totally ignored by this corrupted leadership. If she could go on for 18 years without any written intervention in her life, we can say this leadership which was there or should be there for the blessing of the people and what God can do for them, they ignored her. The first thing that Jesus does, he notices her. And I've, I've preached many sermons um, at a time uh, the people who didn't go unnoticed by Jesus, and she's one of them. He singles her out. The description of her condition is quite unique. She's the only one found in kingdom or scripture narrative with this hairpin-type disability. And it says what it means. She was bent double. That means her face was nearly towards the ground. She was more familiar with, pe with people's feet than she was with their faces. More familiar with the people's feet than our faces. That can make you feel lonely if you don't see a face, can't it? If you don't get any visitors at home, you're on your own, that can make you feel lonely. We live in a culture and a society where there are numerous help groups set up to give information to understand the illness and the infirmity aids to bring treatment where possible, access to local support where available, and whilst there is some aloneness in physical suffering, which we all suffer in some measure, to be in a society where you can't identify with another person and are largely ignored, there is no family or no community. And I think that's in our society. With all the help that we can get, loneliness still prevails. We feel alone. We feel that we don't identify with any particular group. And the scripture sort of infers here, and the nuance is that she was alone in this. There was no one else she could relate to. I just want to challenge you with that small and that, that heart feeling of those times when you feel that just someone you can't relate your situation to. She was like that. She was alone, a lonely woman, the life of a lonely woman. I'm sorry to major on this, but God gave me this, and I just need to spell it out. She was more familiar with the people's feet and their faces. She could hear the comments and not see who made them. You may be, you come in, some people when they come into church, they think people are making comments. They just feel that. And they feel it's against them. And if it, they would feel lonely because of that. And sometimes you hear comments and they think they're made about you and actually made about someone else. It's that, that place of loneliness because of comments 
that you hear. She felt the sniggers, not knowing who to react to, and wondered if the laughter was her expense or for genuine humor, humor and delight. To be physically low in stature down there could mean mentally low too. Disability very often brings that sense of being mentally low too. I just want to tell you that God notices that. And he wants to have that powerful word for you today, whatever that situation is. She was cut off from the level that others operated at. I mean, if I go into the, if I go into the place where maybe there's highly intelligent people, I don't feel I'm operating at that level. Have you ever been in that sort of situation? You go into, well, nowadays, I used to do children's but Nowadays, if I go into a children's club or something like that, I don't feel I'm operating at that level. I don't feel I can get down there. It's a different level. But this woman was like that, you know? She was operating at a different level than what others were. She felt cut off, isolated, lonely. And as it seems, no one else to share her disability management with. Sometimes we just want to manage what we're going through. And sometimes we seem to be alone in that. And I believe that God put that phrase into my mind this morning because of someone here that feels just like this woman. The life of a lonely woman. But the wonderful thing is that Jesus notices her. The first thing we read is he called her to himself. Jesus called her for blessing and he laid his hands on her and he healed her. Isn't that amazing? But he attributed her suffering, her disability, to a character who's named in the story, which we also have to recognize too, that all our suffering, all our fear, all our doubts, all our physical pain is attributed to one person, and that is Satan. But here, God had given to his people, the Jewish people, his words, his oracles. He'd given them power to be leaders in community. He'd given them skills. He'd given them ways that they could bless the community. And largely here, these flawed Corrupted leaders just weren't doing that. I just can't believe that this woman had been around for 18 years and probably no one had reached out to her. But sometimes it can be like that in church too. Sometimes, so we say, pray, Lord, would you just give us insight, give us, help us to notice others who are in need and suffering. Help us to notice that. Lord, would you just give us the spirit of that discernment for people's need, mentally or physically? God had entrusted his people with this sort of message, the gospel of the kingdom, but they failed in that. Some wonderful things about Jesus, and we always need to see wonderful things about him. Jesus puts people's needs 
at the forefront of his ministry, both physically and spiritually. Numerous times we read about Jesus went into a house or the crowds were there and he saw a man or a woman and he healed them. Very often we major on the preaching, which is good, to learn what the Bible says, but I don't think we're so quick to go for noticing people who need physical help and mental help. And I believe we need to buck up on that, as Margaret's mum used to say. To buck on that is to be to come forward and pray for people who have a physical and mental need and pray for ourselves who are going through these things. We need to be open and honest about them and say, I need prayer. I need help. Because that's what God's kingdom is all about. That's why Jesus came and gave his life for us, to release the kingdom over us, that we might know his empowerment to live life in a far better way. Sometimes church community can seem a lonely place and you feel ignored and lonely even though there are lots of people. You know there's a way through for that? We should be community. We say we're community, but let's work at this. Well, I think Beacon is a good example. We all feel loved and supported, well, I hope we loved and supported and blessed because someone else in the fellowship, and because we're together, and we love that. So how would the Jewish hierarchy assess her in their presence? They say with her disability was due to the fact that she'd sinned somewhere in her life. We have that somewhere else. But they got so legalistic and corrupted in their thinking that they thought that people with problems, we had this in Steve's message last week, didn't we? You know, if you're suffering, that's your fault. It's because if you haven't done good to someone else, then you're getting paid back for it. The karma he was talking about. Yeah, strange thinking, isn't it? In some way, she had broke the established religious code. I mean, she would be an embarrassment in the synagogue, the Jewish people. I just thought, when I was thinking about this, I just thought to myself, what if we were just sitting here and six motorbikers came in here? Would we be embarrassed? Would we carry on preaching? Would, we, we just, would they tiptoe to their seats? What would we do? Moving out of legalism? Maybe we'll have to do that one day. I don't know. But it's a thought, isn't it? Would someone jump up and get them a cup of coffee and say, oh, sit down over here, let's have a chat, mates? Some thoughts, isn't there, really? As a church, are we community? Are we noticing? Are we reaching out? She possibly had upset some prominent male. Who knows? Maybe she was a supposed victim in a love triangle. Who knows? Maybe she dishonoured the name of Yahweh, who knows? To them, she was an imposter, just due to her disability. But not to Jesus. She was a victim. She was a victim. And I just notice how Jesus often put himself, purposely put himself, in the presence of abused victims. There was a woman of Samaria who had six husbands. 
There was a woman caught in adultery, but he stepped in. He was the only one who had right to throw the stones. And he said, I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. And we find Jesus in the place of women, because in that society, that was very much the case. The women weren't worth very much. But Jesus raised the bar, as he did on morality. He raised the bar on God's appreciation. And the story just focuses on that. Which is when it said, behold a woman, what it means is, here's someone, here's a female who's created in the image of God as also a male was. That equality that was desperately needed. And Jesus sees her. He calls her the daughter of Abraham. And what she's saying, look here, guys, she actually belongs, and you haven't noticed it. She belongs, and you haven't noticed it. Was that loneliness? And they would be watching her carefully. She was worth more than being an object of punishment or wrath, or even being ignored for 18 years. The second bit is <clears throat> lessons we learn from a corrupted leadership. I was listening to a, um, <clears throat> a Mike Pilavachi, he was teaching at a leaders conference and it's worth a lot if you've got time uh, to look at it. And also the one he's speaking which says telling a better story. And I thought to myself, yeah, actually, that's what's happening here. Jesus is telling a better story. Leadership can be so much different when Jesus is at the head, the focus and the worship of a community of people. Jesus was wanting to change that. And I thought, that, well, yes, that's very appropriate. Very appropriate this week, isn't it? We desperately need leadership in the church and in the land desperately many leaders are leaving their churches because they can't cope or it hasn't matched up to what God led them to and sometimes it's about image and sometimes it's about seeing well we ought to be like that but really what we need to be is like Jesus Mike Pilavati said, when it stands out, a church becomes what its leaders are, not what they preach. A church becomes what its leaders are, not what they preach. You know, and I felt quite humiliated, not that humiliated, but I felt humble at that. That I'm a leader. So am I, am I, am I doing that? And the point of his message was this. There's no other way of being leader of a church unless your love for Jesus is manifested in the first place and foremost place. Your love for Jesus, as also the worship leaders. Our songs should be Christ-centered. Our preaching should be Christ-centered. And I trust today it is to point us to Jesus, who is the one who notices us and who wants to bless you today. And maybe later in our worship, and I just want to leave it out there because 
as we come to worship, we're raising and praising the name of Jesus, but we also need to be aware of others around us, to be praying for them and helping them to know the blessing and the healing that Jesus wants to bring. I believe he wants to bring healing today. 18 years that woman was like that. And maybe there's someone here, he's saying, we've been saying all this time and nothing's happened. But today could be the day that you find Jesus is reaching out for you. Just you. Because Jesus notices those who've lived the life of loneliness and isolation and just need that identity. And when our identity is found in Jesus, we've got, we've got a treasure far more valuable than anything else in all the world. He's our saviour. He's our Lord. He can change our lives. He can change our outlook. He can change our situation. He can know that the leaders have brought me blessing and help today in my life. As Mike said, this is a non-negotiable for leaders, including those who lead worship, is to demonstrate their own love for Jesus. He also related a story when John Wimber came over. And what he was saying really was, and he, he was aware that he, he was in, in, the, in the public. Um, not everybody will know John Wimber. And when he came over, I think it was 1983, but there were big changes in the church after he'd been here to know and to be able to demonstrate and feel and work with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. He had a worship leader. And um, he said, well, really, his worship leader was a bit rubbish. He kept on... And they actually appealed to... The, the, the leaders of the conference appealed to John Wimber to cut down the time the worship leader had. And John Wimber said, he said, you can't do without him because without him, I can't minister to you because he's leading us to the place of Jesus, to where his power is, where his love is, so that we can minister to one another. So, you know, a couple of weeks ago, Steve said, you know, you have the right to go to any of your leaders and challenge them and say to them, reprimand them if you like, who knows? But that's your opportunity. But our leaders should be godly. We should love Jesus, focus on him, and make sure he, he is the center of all that we do. Because he noticed you. And he noticed me, and he drew us to himself and placed us in his narrative, his eternal narrative, his kingdom narrative, to know the love of the Father for each one of us. Father, we just praise and thank you for Jesus. Oh, Lord, thank you so much for Jesus. Help us to love you more, Lord Jesus, we pray. And Father, we just pray you help us as leaders to just uh, know where we are, to be careful where we are, to demonstrate our love for you, that this church may become a community of Jesus followers. 
We pray in Jesus' name, in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Over to you, Peter.